from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm here with my beloved wife, Wendy. Happy to be here with you. And it is just in a few days, Thanksgiving. Yes. Very excited for Thanksgiving, aren't we? Do you have any uh, fun Thanksgiving memories or traditions from your family that you want to share? Well, our Thanksgiving wasn't that traditional. I mean, it was traditions for us, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was that traditional because... uh, just as it was when I was a kid, we well, the beauty was family together, and that's what I remember most about mm-hmm. it. Very much so, the joy of family being together. My grandparents had my great grandmother living with them, and my grandmother had two siblings who lived not too too far away, who would come with their spouses and their children and their children, so my second cousin. So that feeling of being together with extended family, feeling part of this story, that's what I associate with Thanksgiving. We didn't have quite the same food traditions that mm-hmm. um, are typical for American Thanksgiving, but certainly... Isn't it true? Is your, well, with your Italian family, didn't you tell me that Italians considered turkeys kind of like a... They, yeah, there wasn't a lot of high regard for turkeys. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Was it so, considered like a... F- a f- I don't know. My Yeah, they they didn't really think it was such a classy thing to right, eat for right. some reason. <laughs> <laughs> we would rather have a leg of lamb for a special occasion than a turkey, but, but that's okay. You know, the joy was the togetherness, yeah. I think, for me. Yeah. But, you know, it, I joined the West family where we definitely have very traditional Thanksgiving dinners and... I think a great tradition in your family beyond the food, which is so generous and delicious, is often of including people who don't have family nearby and mm-hmm. kind of expanding the circle around the yeah, table that's, with that's outside fun, people. And I really enjoy that. It's been a fun aspect of mm-hmm. our family. There are always stragglers who yeah. who become part of the family, got, get welcomed in. Yeah. Yeah, and you start to look forward to that each year. Yeah. Oh, is that person going to be here? So that's a joy for us. One thing I just like about to the Thanksgiving meal is just all those flavors that kind of blend into each other, literally blend together on your plate, but all kind of make this beautiful, unique holiday taste combination. <laughs> to me, it's all tied together by the gravy. The gravy. It's all about the gravy. In my family, we used to say, well, Gravy is a beverage. <laughs> Everything gets drowned in gravy. Your um, leg of lamb comment reminded me of that funny skit from Brian Regan about the <laughs> why is it that you get a chicken leg or even a turkey leg or even a turkey leg, but you don't get a lamb leg, no, you get no. a leg of lamb. <laughs> that's right. We don't know why it is, but that's what you call it. Don't mess I'll with have, it. I'll have some lamb leg. You mean leg of lamb. <laughs> Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You know, there are obviously Eucharistic connotations to this holiday. Thanksgiving, Eucharistia means Thanksgiving. Everything, and this is is just core principle of theology of the body, everything we receive as a gift, our very existence is a gift. We're called to be a gift. And in receiving that gift and giving that gift, we are giving thanks for the gift. 
So what are you thankful for this week? Something to ponder, something to think about. Mm -hmm. Wendy, I am particularly thankful for you and our, we just celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary on November 18th. I'm particularly grateful to the Lord this year for you and what you have been to me, what you mean to me in these 24 years of married life. Cannot possibly imagine who I'd be, where I'd be, what I'd be without the gift that you are to me, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you. And I, you, my love. Thank you so much. Indeed. So let's move on to some questions. Sure. It is, after all, a Q&A podcast. It sure is. And here's a Q. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope I have an A. All right. Here's an anonymous question. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Hi. Thank you so much for your podcasts. What advice could you give to a young couple in college who are striving for a chaste, pure relationship? More details. We've been friends for two years and dating for six months, and with the intense level of emotional closeness we feel, it's hard for the desire for physical closeness to be kept at bay. Thank you for your beautiful witness. <laughs> a little song came to you there. A little there. song, because, oh gosh, we could take up the whole episode with this one. Uh, wow. Yeah, so I, I tend to frame questions by beginning with the extremes that we want to avoid. Okay. So here are two extremes to avoid. On the one hand, we don't want to think of the other person as an occasion of sin and come to the conclusion that the only way we can be chased is if we're never together alone or something like that. There's a real danger in that mentality that you come to consider yourself kind of an animal who can't control yourself. And the only way to refrain from unchaste behavior is to prevent circumstances that would allow such unchaste behavior. In other words, there's this kind of mentality that floats around out there in some Catholic circles that I've run into that the idea is, well, well, you know what's going to happen if young people are alone together. So you can't ever be alone together because you're animals who can't control yourself. So what you do is you lock yourself in that room, you lock yourself in that room until you get married and then you can get together. Well, the mentality is, well, you chain yourself to that tree, I'll chain myself to this tree. The, the, the danger of that mentality is that the wedding night then becomes this idea, oh, now we're allowed, quote, end quote, now we're allowed to cut the chains loose, you know? And I imagine like that moment of the cutting of the chains. <laughs> now, you, now, now they're like animals who can't <laughs> control themselves, right? My point here is there's no magic trick that on the wedding night suddenly makes what you're going to do holy, it's not like marriage puts this holy blanket over our, our lack of self-control. Mm. Marriage doesn't make something that was unholy suddenly holy. It's only holy to the extent that it's coming from a place of what John Paul II calls the freedom of the gift. Mm -hmm. So we could put it this way. Again, I'm, I'm framing up one extreme and then I'll talk about the other extreme to okay. avoid as well. So the one extreme I'm painting the picture of here, I'm framing up, if you will, is don't consider yourselves animals that have no self-control. Mm -hmm. Don't consider chastity meaning being 
well, we'll, we will never put ourselves in a, how do I say this? Because I, I want to show, obviously, I want to show respect for those who know their weaknesses and say in that case, we know if we were alone for an extended amount of time or whatever, that we would do something we don't want to do, so we won't be alone. Do I show respect for that couple? Absolutely. Do I say way to go to that couple? Absolutely. But I'd also say you're called to something higher. You're called to something more. You're called to a real freedom to choose what is good for the other in any circumstance. And here's my point. If the only thing that kept you from having sex before you got married was the fact that you didn't have the opportunity to do so, what does that say about the desire of your heart? So again, the one extreme on the one hand to avoid is the idea that you're animals that can't control yourself. On the other extreme, uh, a danger to avoid is this idea that, you know, kind of anything goes, we love each other, there's no problem, we don't need any boundaries, we, we're, we're cool, we're good, nothing's going to go wrong. No, that would, be, that would be the other extreme that's putting too much confidence in fallen human nature or not recognizing that we're actually fallen. That would be one error, is to not recognize the real effects of the fall. This is actually, mm-hmm. as I'm saying it, turns out to think this is a good way to put it. The two extremes to avoid, on the one hand, is to exaggerate your fallenness, as if you can never have any self-control or real freedom in loving rightly. That's one error. And on the other hand, is to underestimate. Did you hear that bark? That was our dog. (laughs) If that came through the recording, it's because we record this at home and our dog just heard something. (laughs) So speaking of animals who can't control themselves, that was Mandy. Uh, What was I saying? (laughs) (laughs) The other extreme is underestimating. All right. So don't don't exaggerate the reality of your fallen humanity as if you're utterly depraved and you can never reclaim your freedom. That's the one extreme. And on the other hand, don't underestimate the reality that you are fallen and you need to take some precautions for that. Maybe we could just speak to what we went through in our dating and engagement and some of the I have a couple of thoughts yeah, to, sure. to share about um, some of that, just the question specifically about the emotional closeness and desiring physical closeness and all that beauty of that and um, the mixture of kind of goodness, but also a temptation to kind of seek comfort in one another in ways that are beyond the reality of our relationship at this at time. At the time, right. That's a good way to put um, it. So understandable. So I just have a a love and compassion for this particular couple and any couple in this situation. And one of the things that I've thought about sometimes after we've recorded podcasts, actually, is that a few times we've talked about um, sort of marital ministry to one another and and intimate affection in Mm -hmm. marriage, Mm -hmm. um, even during times of abstinence. And it's kind of crossed my mind that, you know, I wonder if we're creating in some way any confusion in people who are not married mm. in terms of kind of this framing of this is ministry to one another and it doesn't have to lead to full union. If we're kind of creating a mindset about a good um, intimate affection that I'm always speaking or we're both speaking in context in of there marriage. married people yes. because the reality of marriage is that we have made a full gift yes. of ourselves to yes. one another. Yes. And so we are that full 
bodily gift to one another. And that is the context of that kind of affection. But I think the reality in a dating couple, even though we have those desires for that, maybe that comfort or closeness, that it it's contrary to the reality of our current relationship to see in the other's body, the, you know, the kind of fulfillment yes. or or even to seek something in that closeness that's not true to our current situation. So I felt like, oh, I would love to have the chance to just clarify that when we're talking about those things, we're talking about that in marriage and yes. not not prior to because it doesn't correspond to the reality. That's right. As much as we may have that desire to be a gift, to be received, to receive the other as a gift, until we've made that gift and by the power of the Holy Spirit, been united to one another. The Holy Spirit is the bond of our marriage. Yes. Until the Holy Spirit has united us through that sacrament, we are needing to respect the integrity and distinctness that we are not one. We're not one yet. Yes. Uh, and so that has to be reflected in our, our ways of showing love and affection that are proper to our relationship. And I think it can be so tempting to, in that safety of a closeness to someone you care about, yes. to just lose touch with what the reality is of our current relationship. You know, I'm thinking of a story, Wendy, of you and, and your friend Dave mm -hmm. from college. Mm -hmm. Maybe that could be helpful here. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can share a little bit. That was a very profound experience for me. It had been a, a long friendship that hadn't really become a, a dating relationship officially, but I think in our relating with one another, there was that mutual desire and interest. And by God's grace, and I, I don't say this to hold myself out, you know, as an example, but only to give thanks to God because He really did work in both my heart and His heart. So I'm so grateful for that, that we were really able to kind of push pause on our attraction to one another to think about what is the reality of our relationship and our future. And, and something in me realized this isn't the man I'm called to marry. I'm very attracted to him, but this isn't the one. And that meant that if we would indulge with one another, at some point there would be a breakup. Mm -hmm. You know, then at some point there would be real pain. So that that question of wait, why would we do that to one another if, if our friendship and our our care for one another is a real thing. As I remember the story, if I can add this, because mm -hmm. I think it's pertinent to this college couple. Yeah, yeah. You were in college at the time. We were. You were spending a lot of time with one another in each other's dorm rooms. We each had a single dorm room, so we had a lot of time just together in a private space, whether right. it was and my room or his room. And you're attracted to one another, yes. and you're, you're wanting to act on that attraction, yes. and then all these questions came up about yes. what does this mean if right. I act on this attraction? What am I saying to right. this person. Right. And I think if we can shine a little light on that, and I think the story does do that, mm -hmm. I think it'd be very helpful to this couple and, and other listeners. Because yeah. it's there's a meaning mm -hmm. connected with these expressions of right. of intimacy there that that when we learn to honor that meaning, 
we really want to be honest in in expressing that meaning if we're, if we're in touch with our, our deeper hearts. The temptations were very real, very powerful, and there was a real sort of private agony to go through to not act on them. I don't know if there's a specific aspect of that that you're remembering. I'm, I'm just remembering how you told me the story yeah. that it was just that. There was a, there was a private agony yes. and then a, a realization that if I were to act on these feelings, which the feelings in themselves are not bad or wrong, but and and what, let's be clear as to what we're talking about. You know, you wanted you wanted to express a closeness. You wanted to, yeah. whatever it might have been, you know, be more physically intimate with right. him, but not in a way that, in and of itself, would have been objectionably wrong, even, uh, or or objectively right. wrong. But you realize, no, that has a meaning, and I don't want to say that to yeah. this person because. I don't think this is the person I want to spend my life with. Right. In fact, you you had a real conviction about that. Oh, I don't want to make light at all. That was a very hard thing to go through for both of us. But by God's grace, we did both realize that we weren't really meant for one another and that acting on our attraction would be untruthful knowing and, that. and there was a part of the story this this was a really illuminating part to me i remember when you told it to me years ago for the first time that you had explained to him what you were looking for in a husband yes yeah, so this yep yeah, this beautiful conversation i remember it with such gratitude so he asked me you know what is what's the deal with your faith and i thought because we didn't really have we were both catholic but we didn't share a lot spiritually even though we had a long time friendship and i talked to him a bit about how important the lord was to me and how always would be and you know i wanted to keep growing and and he had just a generous response of uh, you know as long as there's also room for a husband, which is a good question. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus, is that important to you? Is there also room for a human so being? So you're having this conversation with him looking, he's kind of, you're you're testing out, could yes, we have a relationship? Yes. Could we go in this direction? Yes. He said, as long as there would be room for a husband, I'm, I'm okay with that, with what you shared, which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yet, as he said that, as I felt what, uh, a beautiful thing to have him say to me that, you know, I don't reject you for that seriousness about the Lord. I was able to have just this clarity, but I, to marry someone, he needs to love that about me. And I, I said that to him, and, and you know, he, I just felt the Holy Spirit so profoundly in his response. He said, and that's what you deserve. And there just became such a peace between us at that moment of kind of calming that intensity Mm, of of mm. desire for one another because Mm -hmm. there was just a clarity about truth. And I will say also this about our relationship. You know, we continued to, for a time after that, spend time in one another's dorm rooms. That was still an aspect of our friendship. But I found that in order for my heart to remain at peace, I needed to be have a little more physical distance mm-hmm. even in our togetherness. Mm-hmm. You know, whether mm-hmm. we had just become sort of comfortable with back rubs and touch in ways that were sort of friendly, but maybe we're tapping into things in mm-hmm. my heart. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of this is just an, an example of how the Lord can speak to us the truth of our relationship and allow us to act in, you know, accordance with that and that it's not always entirely clear. It can get a little messy, but, you know, to keep opening that to him, 
obviously in this dating couple's relationship, they may not be discerning that they don't belong right. together. So their temptations might look a little different. But I think what's illustrated by the story is like, come Holy Spirit and just yes. give us clarity so that we're not expressing affection out of kind of a desire for the comfort or pleasure that brings that then causes us to be outside the scope of the reality of what our relationship is right now. Yeah, that, that's well said. And I, I, I have always been so grateful to your friend Dave for loving you in that moment because mm-hmm. I became, as your future husband, mm-hmm. I became the direct beneficiary mm-hmm. of the struggle and discernment and sacrifices that you both made you did, yeah. to be honest. Mm-hmm. That you, So you had this attraction, you had this desire, but you stopped, you pushed the pause and said, would following through with this correspond to the reality of our relationship? Right. And you're able to say, no, it wouldn't. And you're able to demonstrate what John Paul II calls the freedom of the gift. Mm. That we're not, we're not animals that can't control ourselves. We can make real clear decisions that guide and direct our desires towards the truth. What you really wanted to do was show him genuine love, which you did precisely by not showing some physical sign of affection that didn't correspond to your relationship. What, and I think that's the, the main point, the underlying point here mm-hmm. is that chastity is not a no in and of itself, there, it involves a no to certain things at times, but the no serves a much greater yes, and the yes is a yes to the truth of love. Mm-hmm. Merely experiencing drives and desires for physical closeness, however that might want to manifest itself, cannot be confused in itself with love. Uh, we have to learn how to train those desires and attractions so that it serves the true dignity of the person and the truth about love. That's the role and goal of the virtue of chastity, not to repress or squash sexual attractions and desires, but to direct sexual passions and desires towards the truth of honoring and loving the person. Mm -hmm. That's what chastity is. And I hold out to this anonymous questioner and to everyone out there, whatever your state in life, we're called to chastity. You know, this idea that marriage just suddenly removes boundaries and and now you don't have to look at what's going on in your hearts anymore because you're married. That's simply not true. We can have very selfish, egotistical desires even within marriage. I mean, it's part of our broken humanity. Learning how to direct those passions and desires before marriage Towards the truth of real married love is one of the best, one of the most important things you can do to prepare your hearts, your minds, your bodies for a healthy, holy marriage. And remember this, it's so important. Nobody lives this out perfectly. There are going to be weaknesses that show themselves. There are going to be slips. There are going to be falls. Mercy is real. Mm -hmm. The, The calling is not Get yourself perfect and then be married because you'd never get married. But the call is to trust in God's mercy. And if you fall, you pick yourself up and you keep going. If you fall, let's rewind. When you fall. Because <laughs> in one way or another, we're, all gonna, we're never going to live out chastity perfectly. Right. You pick yourself up. You receive God's mercy. You receive the sacrament of God's mercy called confession. And you 
bring that grace into your life. You trust in that mercy and you grow through it and keep moving forward. Amen. I have sort of a semi-lighthearted question from one of our listeners. What is your take on cursing during prayer? (laughs) Well, what does the person mean by cursing? (laughs) I think he probably means using um, rather colorful language. The actual word cursing, you know, we use the word cursing. Yeah not in the actual meaning of the word, yeah. to put a curse on someone is diabolic, right? right? I don't think but that's But I don't think that's mean. what the person means. <laughs> I think the, you know, like dropping in, uh, you know, an S-H-I-T here and there <laughs> or, you know, whatever colorful language you might be expressing in prayer. Well, I'll just tell you the story from my own experience here. There's stuff in our hearts that we have to get out. Mm-hmm. And I was on a retreat years ago which changed my life. And the retreat master was an old mystical monsignor who himself, when he was young, his spiritual director was Padre Pio. And I share that only to, to, to make it clear that this was not a wacky priest. Like mm-hmm. he, he's a holy man. And he urged me on this retreat to be honest with God, with whatever was going on in my heart. And at one point on the retreat, there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of anger that got tapped in my heart. And it came out. Mm -hmm. It came out in some very, shall we say, colorful, salty, raw Mm -hmm. language. I was pissed. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was raw. It was tender. And I was convinced that I was going straight to hell because I... The string of expletives came out, mm. uh, directed right at God. And I called him up. I said, I got to go to confession right away. He says, well, I wasn't supposed to see you till tomorrow. I said, no, no, I, no, I got to see you right now because mm. I got to go to confession. He said, okay, come on over. And I said, uh, bless me, Father. Uh, I've sinned. It's only been, uh, it's been three hours since my last confession. And um, I told him exactly what I said to God. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, good prayer. Mm. And I was like, What? What, 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 what? He said, that was a good prayer. Excuse me? He said, you just prayed Psalm 22 in union with Jesus. I said, well, refresh my memory. What's that? He says, it's when Christ on the cross screamed. He let out the loud cry and said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, but he, he didn't let out a string of expletives. He said, well, you prayed it in your way and he prayed it in his way. It's the same prayer. Mm-hmm. It's coming from the same place in your heart. Mm-hmm. And he said, you don't need to confess that you got real with God. He said, you need to confess that you haven't been real with God. You've been wearing all these masks. So what is my point here? My point is not to just give license to, you know, let your tongue fly with whatever colorful things you might feel like you need to say to God. But at the same time, if that needs to happen to get in touch with something in your heart that needs to be exposed, if that's the way it comes out, then let it come out. Mm -hmm. God's not afraid of any of it. We're probably talking about our private prayer times in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you. Good good point of qualification, clarification. I will add for our listeners that I, too, have had some deep angers come out during private prayer times that 
they're painful things, and it's a gift to have them get out before yeah. the Lord. Get them out however they have to get out. One of my favorite lines in the New Testament is, when you pray, go in your inner room and close the door. Mm-hmm. So we have, this is a very important distinction, Wendy. I'm glad you're making it. <laughs> we, I was kind of assuming it, but it's good to make it explicit. There is public prayer, Right. And what I'm talking about here is not appropriate in public prayer, (laughs) right? Thank God in public prayer, we have a magisterium, a teaching authority that says when we pray publicly, this is how we do it. Otherwise, it would be total chaos. That's what the the rubrics of the liturgy are. Mm -hmm. It's the church in her own authority saying, when we gather publicly to pray, this is how we do it. But then there's private prayer. And in private prayer, close the door. Mm And get naked before God. And if there's stuff in there that has to be expressed, that has to come out in some rather, uh, you know, colorful ways, then then let it be. Be not afraid. God can deal with it. God can handle it. Amen. I like yeah. that. Here's a question from Kathleen. She says, does TOB have any insights on tattoos? I feel like almost everyone these days has a tattoo for their own personal reason. Are tattoos seen as a way of dishonoring the body in the light of T.O.B.? Great question, Kathleen. And I have a few thoughts. I'm yeah, just going to give you a little food for thought, and you can see if it, if it helps. I hope it does. Are tattoos in and of themselves a dishonoring of the body? I don't think we can just make a blanket statement and say in every single situation to put ink on your skin is a dishonoring of the body. So that's one point. On the other hand, I think we can see a trend in the culture that the increase in tattoos has coincided with a failure to understand the true dignity of the body. And when I answer this question, I think we may have had one of these, a similar question on a previous podcast. I can't exactly remember but I often tell the story. I was on an airplane with a woman. Uh, we had maybe a three-hour flight, and we got chatting, and she had some tattoos, and she asked what I did, and I told her a little bit about theology of the body, and she found that interesting. And we're at the point in our conversation where it was appropriate for me to ask her about her tattoos, which mm-hmm. were very plain and obvious. And and uh, she started explaining this tattoo and that tattoo, and and then she told me the story of how she had to redo one of her tattoos because she went to a party and someone else had the exact same tattoo and she was absolutely mortified. And I thought, ooh, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And we talked more about it. And what came out was she saw her tattoos as an expression of her person. Like, this is part of my heart. Like, this, I'm unrepeatable. She didn't use that word, but that's what she was getting. I want to be unique. Yeah. And when she saw somebody else with the same tattoo, she thought, ah, that's an attack against my uniqueness. And she had mm-hmm. to go change the tattoo because she wanted to be unique. It's like, you know, showing up at, at the prom and somebody else has the exact same dress. Right. You know, you want to be special. You want to be unique. That desire to be special, that desire to be unique is part of how God made us. We are unique. Mm-hmm. We are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable human beings, as we often say on this show. But where I think the culture is veering in the wrong direction with tattoos is that we're failing to recognize that the body in itself, without anything added to it at all, 
expresses the unique, unrepeatable mystery of the person. And I think that tattoos are a symptom in some way, maybe not in every case, but I think it's a symptom, generally speaking, of the failure to recognize what the body itself already says. When we fail to recognize that the body already says something beautiful, amazing, and unique about you, we think we need to do something additionally to the body to express that. I think that's one aspect of the issue. I think there's also, I think we can say there's an element of the way we decorate the body. We decorate the body with clothing. We decorate the body with jewelry. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, Mm -hmm. right? And by extension, I think we can sometimes put tattoos in that category. But to make an analogy, piercing the ears, for example, is one thing. But then there can be a point of piercings that become grotesque Mm. and are not accenting any longer the natural beauty of the body, but Mm -hmm. distorting it Mm -hmm. and even becoming something, I use the word grotesque, It's hard to say where the line is here, but I think we can recognize when tattoos do cross that line into the grotesque. And we're seeing a lot of that, and there's something is amiss. We are not understanding the dignity of the body in those situations. And I think all these reflections that you're sharing can certainly help us if we're kind of questioning and maybe struggling with someone we know, and their tattoos are maybe causing some discomfort for us certainly can help us to have like insight into the deeper reasons for people getting mm-hmm. tattoos and and compassion also it can help us to just have an open mind about it as well to not yeah. have to have an all one way or all another way opinion about it but whether or not we've you know, feel a desire for it for ourselves and are kind of looking at, well, what would the effect of this tattoo be for me and others? But also just a a heart that says, you know, human beings are complex and and there's a lot coming out in a person that would get a tattoo. Another example of something I've I've heard others say is that in our world, there are so many broken relationships, so many people from families where um, there's been divorce or lack of commitment, that there's something meaningful for some people to do something permanent. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that that feeling of commitment that was there in order to have the tattoo is kind of soothing, maybe, to a person yeah. that is longing Good for point. permanence in, in life. So, you know, there can be, and these are just two examples yeah. of possible reasons, but I think the general message I think we both want to share is is that our bodies already speak beautifully about our uniqueness. It's not necessary to get a tattoo to express that, but also to have compassion for those who, you know, maybe are getting tattoos that are, you know, sort of troubling. And also to be open to that tattoos themselves aren't fundamentally Fundamentally wrong. wrong. So all these things. And there's an ancient tradition here that's just interesting to point out. Yeah. Uh, It's pretty old of... Christians going to the Holy Land and marking the culmination of their pilgrimage with the tattoo. In fact, there is uh, a friend of mine who went to the Holy Land last year, mm-hmm. did this. She got a tattoo, and the family that runs this tattoo parlor in the Holy Land mm-hmm. goes back several generations. It's mm-hmm. it's an old tradition, and she got 
you know, most people do, most pilgrims do get very religious symbols. Mm -hmm. And I found that really quite interesting. Yeah, that's eye-opening, isn't it? Yeah, eye-opening. So, some food for thought for Kathleen. I hope you find that helpful. And we want to invite all of you guys to continue the journey with us. These little things, these little insights we can offer you, a little food for thought here and there with the Q&A format in this podcast. Based on all the feedback we get, we know it's very helpful to you. There's so much more. Wendy and I, we, we gather the ideas that we share from years and years of our own lives of being exposed to John Paul II's teaching in his Theology of the Body. And we want to invite you to go deeper. And there are lots of ways you can do that. You can take a course with the Theology of the Body Institute. Check out the show notes to see the schedule. You could go on a pilgrimage with us. Speaking of which, going to the Holy Land, maybe you want to go to the Holy Land and get a tattoo. (laughs) Guess what? We're going. February 15th to the 25th of the year 2020. We are going to the Holy Land. What do you think, Wendy? Should I get a tattoo? <laughs> anyway, you can surprise me. Surprise you. Okay. Well, the challenge has been put forth. Uh, yeah, we're going to the Holy Land, and I would love for you to come with me on this amazing, amazing trip. You can learn more in the show notes. And of course, don't forget, become part of the patron community for ongoing formation. We sure would appreciate your support. We can't do this work without people like you who believe in it. We're so grateful to those patrons out there who are monthly supporters of what we do, and we hope you appreciate the ongoing formation that we're offering you. We really are grateful. We really, really are, truly. Thank you, guys. Remember, always, you are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Bless you. Thank you.